Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest and greatest episode of Inside the Hexagon. I am your host, as always, Phil Lanades, and I want to thank you for taking the time to join us for today's show. On the episode today, I am super, super excited. We have Tim Kennedy joining us today. He gives us a solid amount of time to kind of talk through his run with Strike Force, his philosophy on life. SaveOurAllies.org, which is a really, really great endeavor that he is involved with. Uh, it's run actually by Chad Robichaud, and a fellow former Strike Force fighter, and somebody I'd like to have on the show eventually. But uh, just, just in a, a really good conversation. We delve into Tim's background and you know what got him into MMA. He schools me on on military a little bit, and uh, again, we talk. We just talk about a lot. I did want to mention. I always end these fighter interviews with you know if if somebody would want to know who you are as a fighter what is the one fight that would stand out and unfortunately we tried twice but tim had just he didn't have good reception at that point and so uh, he wasn't able to, to to give the answer in a way that i could include in the show uh, if you stay tuned till after the interview i'll reveal what the what the fight was that he mentioned because i do remember it and i was able to kind of pick through what he said enough to, to add unfortunately i couldn't have it in there but uh, it's still a great interview. It's still worth listening to. So without further ado, let's get to it. All right. On the line with us is uh, the man himself. I'm super excited to talk with two-time former Strike Force middleweight title challenger and U.S. Army Ranger, which I feel is not enough to say about your, your military uh, services and sacrifice. But Tim Kennedy, so glad to have you on. The, uh, welcome to Inside the Hexagon. Oh, my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. I missed Hexagon. <laughs> yeah, serious. You know, I, you know, and and let's let's. If this isn't part of my questions, let me ask: Is there a difference between fighting in you know a hexagon, an octagon, a rounded cage? Is you know, or obviously there's differences with a ring, but uh, is there anything different about the hexagon versus the other cage setups? Uh, I mean, the size is a big thing. You know, there there are different size cages and different shapes. Uh, I love fighting in rope rings because they are small. Um, I love fighting in the small UFC cage and, uh, and I love the, the hexagon as a guy that really likes to tussle. I don't want to chase people around, right? If I could fight in a phone booth, I'd fight in a phone booth. <laughs> so like that was, that was the, one of the hardest parts was, you know, getting to engage with people. Um, you know, and even like the Melvin Manhoff fight, you know, like, thank God that guy didn't have more room to move because I didn't want him to move. I just want to get my hands on him. Right, right. Well, we're going to get to that. Um, I, I, I do want to talk about that fight, but let's talk a little bit about your background. You trained boxing, wrestling, and jujitsu growing up. You eventually got to train with Chuck Liddell, Jake Shields before he left the pit and, and some other, there's others there as well. You went 30 and one as an amateur before making your pro MMA debut all the way back in 2001. I didn't realize uh, you know, this is your 20th anniversary of your pro debut, but I also noticed, I didn't realize your pro debut was against hands of steel, Scott Smith. That is uh, who is, has also appeared on this podcast, quite a fighter uh, to make your debut against. Uh, that was, that, that had to be a, a tough fight, but specifically what made you get into MMA? And especially since again, 2001, this is when the UFC is, is, you know, in danger of dying. This is before Ken and Tito kind of revived interest. And then of course the ultimate fighter in 2005, what made you want to get into MMA, especially before the, the sport really hit its stride and broke out into the mainstream? Man, I just like to fight. Um, you know, I was a middle born kid. My dad was a police officer, uh, you know, growing up in a, in a kind of small rural town in California. Um, you know, if you wanted to get rough, it's a different era now, right? But like if you go back then, 
you know, you could fight every weekend if you wanted to. And um, there was no, it, it, it didn't have the, it sounds barbaric and it's, it's way more sophisticated now, but it was accepted for, you know, guys to be able to go and fight. Kind of a fight club type of, type of mindset a little bit with, you know, Hey, let's get this aggression out in in a healthy and well, I guess sometimes unhealthy, but you know, get, get that out there and, and, and engage and test yourself. Right. I mean, that's gotta be part of the thinking. Yeah. You know, and just like, you know, not figuring out pecking orders, but, you know, figuring out a little bit about yourself. You know, there's lots of different cultures and lots of different societies that do it lots of different ways for country bumpkins in in uh, rural areas. Sometimes it's fighting, some, sometimes it's motocross, sometimes it's four-wheeling, sometimes it's hunting, um, some, you know, sometimes it's lifting hay. Uh, you know, I think there was 27,000 people that lived in the, the city that I grew up in at the time. So, you know, it was just us trying to kind of figure out a way. Okay. Well, uh, another way that you went was, uh, was the military in 2004, you enlisted in the army. You mentioned your, you just mentioned your dad being a, a police officer. So you obviously have, you know, law enforcement, you know, kind of armed forces in your background, but does the military run in your family? What made you want to, to join up with the, the U S military? Not nine eleven was the motivator. That was the genesis. I, I was at the recruiter's office on on September eleventh, two thousand and one, um, trying to figure out what I was going to do. Um, it took took me a little bit of time to finally get a special forces contract. Um, I'm not an army ranger. I'm a green beret. That ah, okay. went to ranger school. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a pretty significant distinction in uh, in special operations. The ranger regiment, specifically the army rangers, I have a ton of respect for, and I love them. Um, you know, deployed with them many times. And, uh, and as a Green Beret, I, I did have the opportunity to go to Ranger School, which is a leadership school. Uh, but there's some distinction, but kind of significant within, within our ranks. 9-11 just, you know, put a fire under, underneath me. And it made me question everything that I had been doing and all the reasons that I had been doing things. And, um, you know, watching Americans look out a window, figure out if they're going to burn alive or jump to their death. Yeah, uh, really questioned everything about who and what I was. Oh, well, I mean, you can't get more altruistic as far as your, you know, your your reason for doing that. And I appreciate you schooling me on the difference between Rangers and, and Green Berets. There's pretty much no military in my family. I, I support the military, but it's not, you know, something I know a lot about. So I even hesitated to write that. I just, in my research, I saw Ranger school. So I assumed you were a Ranger. So I appreciate you, uh, uh, you know, correcting me on that. Um, but let's, let's jump into the MMA side. So despite your, your military, uh, your active military duty status, you were, you continued to fight in MMA. You got wins. Uh, you actually had two fights with mayhem Miller. One was a win. One was a loss. You, you fought Ryan McGivern, who was a big deal in the IFL. Uh, and then you actually competed in the IFL itself before making your strike force debut in 2009 with a two TKO win over a very tough Nick, the goat Thompson, a guy that I don't think gets enough credit for just how tough of a fighter he was, but uh, you worked your way up to the fr- from the Challenger series to beating Trevor Prangley via rear naked choke at Strike Force Los Angeles in 2010. Earned you a shot against Jacare Souza for the vacant middleweight title. Didn't go your way, uh, but with all this, again, you were still, if I understand it correctly, still active military. Would have stretches where you'd be deployed throughout your career where you were, uh, you know, unable to fight and that sort of thing. How did you balance uh, between? I mean, was the military was the army? supportive of this? I mean, well, how did you balance between your military responsibilities and, and both training and fighting? It, it was a hard balance, a, a imperfect balance, a, a balance that, you know, if, if I could go back in time and change things, um, 
you know, I would change a lot of things about how I trained and how I spent my time and how I uh, got ready for fights and what kind of, what kind of person I was on the ODAs, you know, I was even, even, you know, you said altruistic, but you know, I was still a very selfish, selfish person. And, um, you know, I wanted to be world champion. I wanted to be in the most elite units within special operations. Um, and it hadn't quite resonated yet about what was important in life and what you needed to be doing, uh, to be a, a true teammate and both on the fighting side and a team member on the special forces side. Okay, so it, you mentioned saying things that you would want to change. Can you delve into a little bit of specifics there? I mean, is it really to the training side, but did you feel like you didn't devote enough to MMA? Did you feel like you devoted too much and you should have been more devoted to your military? Uh, you know, uh, um, exploits is the wrong word, but uh, you understand what I'm saying? So g- give a little bit of idea on, on what would you have changed if you could go back? You know, when you're young, you think you're invincible. And, um, you know, I, I, I never trained like a professional athlete. Um, we weren't professional athletes back then. You know, you, you see, um, you know, you talk about 30 something pro fight or amateur fights. You know, I got paid for most of those fights. The fight that I fought my, what is on my record is my pro debut. I fought Scott Smith two weeks before that in a, in a different venue on a, at a different event that, you know, I beat it, beat it him handedly. <laughs> so, you know, there's, um, so like back then a lot of different things, uh, were were happening and uh and it's not how it is now in in the level level of sophistication and you know we didn't have a ufc athlete center um you know scott coper was and you know reed harris and scott adams who are you know the owners of smaller organizations outside of the ufc were really the only people that were treating anyone like real athletes Hmm. and um i was spending most of my time trying to be tough and trying to hit hard and, um, you know, never doing any real recovery, never doing any real diet. You know, I was, I wasn't doing any, anything like a real athlete. And that's what I wish I could have changed was to go back and, and, uh, actually train like an athlete. Okay. Uh, you, you meant, I mean, essentially WEC strike force, those types of promotions. Uh, I mean, was your goal to make it to the UFC and, and we're going to get back to strike force in just a second. Was that a goal or is it just, you know, Hey, I just want to keep fighting and, and see what happens. But uh, what, what was kind of your end game for, for MMA at that point? No, I just wanted to fight. Um, honestly, I, I didn't want to fight for the UFC. I was dodging the UFC in all the different organizations that, you know, when, I was fighting for, I fought, fight for the w, WC and they were purchased. And I went to the IFL um, after doing a couple more locals and the UFC bought the IFL. Um, <laughs> right. And then I went to Strike Force and then the UFC strike, bought Strike Force. Right. Um, right. <laughs> you know, so, and I was kind of. Leave me alone. <laughs> Stop chasing me. <laughs> well, they weren't chasing me, but yeah, you know, yeah, they, no, they were I'm definitely chase, chasing pools of athletes. And I was on the bottom rung of all of those athletes that they wanted. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and uh, of course, eventually they got you, you know, they bought up everybody pretty much besides Bellator uh, and, and, and they ended up getting you, but uh, let's, it just does bring us to the specific fight that I wanted to discuss with you. I know it's not the biggest bout in your career for sure. Uh, but I, I did watch it in preparation of this and it was an entertaining fight. Uh, it was at strike force phase versus Henderson against Melvin Manhoff. You were actually originally supposed to compete in a trilogy 
uh, with with uh, Mayhem Miller. This would have been the third fight between the two of you, but he was pulled due to injury. So you would face Melvin Manhoff instead. Uh, you were coming off the, the title loss to Jacare. Now you're facing a completely different type of fighter and just, I mean, a, obviously a world champion kickboxer and just a straight up killer on, on the feet. Uh, what were your thoughts heading into the fight? Uh, apparently you said at the fighter meeting that you'd been having dreams that you would knock him out via slam takedown, uh, which, you know, didn't end up uh, manifesting, but yeah, kind of what were your thoughts going into the fight? Just take him down, keep him off his feet. What, what were you thinking? One, I wanted to close the distance and um, I, I thought I could beat him in the clinch. And when, you know, you get the Randy Couture style uppercuts into your face a few times, you, your hips start coming away, um, trying to get away. And when somebody tries to get away, it's real easy to, to pick them up. Um, the, uh, where Manhoff had a, and, and in their dream, that's how I envisioned it going down was, you know, me kind of pulling him up against the fence and started landing shots on him. And, uh, and then him wanting to get away makes it really easy to, to pick somebody up. And uh, I like picking people up. It's, it's fun to hit people with your fists and your, your, your shins and your elbows. But, man, it feels really good to hit them with the earth. You know, like to take the, the planet and to slam the planet against somebody. Uh, so, you know, like, but Manhoff wanted nothing to do with any of that. Right. You know, I um, had a very difficult time closing the distance with them. I couldn't get them to the clinch, uh, you know. And um, after some very, very, very fast kicks, from the outside, it was like, man, I gotta, I gotta change this up. And yeah, cause he, you know, you go this, you go for that takedown early and Melvin's able to squirm out of it, did a really nice job getting out of it. And then he, he lands a couple legs, kicks, drops you with, with one of them that just, God, that looked like it hurt. Uh, and, but then you were able to secure kind of a combo trip slam takedown. You got full mount then back mount. And that was the beginning of the, it was always the thing with Melvin. I mean, he just had no ground game, especially from his back. Uh, you were able to get the rear naked choke in pretty easily. And he tapped from kind of a side position. It was kind of an interesting uh, way that he tapped, but you know, obviously the fight didn't end the way that you had dreamt, but you, you had to be happy getting that win. And uh, so looking back, I mean, it sounds like you were, you were able to accomplish what you wanted to, you want to get your hands on him, get a takedown and, you know, and, and make them feel your power and or make them feel your, uh, your ground game. And it sounds like that's what you did. So you come away feeling pretty good about the fight. Yeah. I mean, the venue was really rad, you know, at, um, yeah, the Arnold classic. Was, yeah. 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 And, it, and, and that specific, talk about full circle 15 years later, me and, uh, buffer and David Goggins, we were awarded and, uh, well, we were put into the international hall of fame at the Arnold classic by Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> at that exact same venue that I fought at. Wow. Um, that's awesome. So yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of cool. But at the time, um, you know, I, I, I wasn't into weightlifting, you know, I obviously knew who Arnold Schwarzenegger was, but being there, it was a different feel than most fights. You know, th this wasn't a fight venue. This was in conjunction with uh, the Arnold classic. So it had a totally different vibe. And, uh, and it was, it was, it was a ton of fun. Uh, if you've never been to the auto classic, you got to make it out. You know, they got strongman competitions. They have, um, endurance competitions. They have like athlete physique competitions, bodybuilding competitions, powerlifting competitions. And, uh, and then at this one, they had, um, mixed martial arts. Uh, this, just this last year that they had one, uh, they had, uh, both gi and no gi grappling at the auto classic. So it's oh. pretty rad. Awesome. Uh, it's kind of funny because you'd also, again, fought at the, the LA card, which was as part of the, uh, the, I believe the E3 gamer conference, cause they were doing the video game at that time. And, uh, and so, you know, you fought in two of the most unique, you didn't, you weren't with the promotion with the, when they did the playboy mansion fights, but that's one thing about Coker and strike force. I mean, they would try 
these different partnerships and do these different events and, and end up at these different venues. So that was, uh, that was cool that, that you got to do that and then come full circle with it as well. But, uh, in the post fight, you respectfully call out Robbie Lawler and, uh, that did produce a matchup between the two, which you won via decision. You got you another title shot this time against new champion, Luke Rockhold. Uh, unfortunately that one didn't go the way that you wanted either. You had one more fight in strike force, which was a win over Trevor Smith before heading uh, over to the UFC. But, Kind of looking back now, how, how do you feel about your run with Strikeforce? Are you, do you consider, you know, Strikeforce to be, you know, hey, that's my quote unquote home promotion? Do you consider that to be the place where you really made your bones or was it just another stop on your, on your journey? Man, I love Strikeforce. I would have fought for Strikeforce forever. Um, you know, the, the Jock Ray loss, you know, that was, that's a sour one. That's a tough one because I thought I won it. Right. Um, and that was one of, one of the reasons I, I changed a lot about how I was training. Um, you know, Luke Rockhold, from Luke and Jock Ray, you know, all of us from Strike Force that went over, you know, we, we were cleaning house in the UFC when we got there. And mm. um, we, we wanted, we wanted titles, you know, we, we wanted, we wanted all of them. You know, it wasn't a stop, stopping point for me. We just, I, I wanted to be recognized as, you know, not, not just a fighter in some other league, but one of the elites that fought at the highest level and could beat world champions. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, and obviously I, you know, I'm a proponent of, of strike force. Of course, that's why I'm doing the podcast. I got to work for the promotion for a while. And so, you know, I, I am a Homer. I mean, and I'm from the Bay area. I was born uh, in Cupertino and lived there for years and years. So, you know, I, I went to the very first strike force. I went to the very first, the very last strike force kickboxing card in 2005 and the first strike force MMA card, 2006. I was there when Fedor got tapped. I mean, I, I, you know, by Fabricio and all, like, so I, I, you know, obviously that's why we're doing this. And so I, I love you. I love your answer. And, you know, talking with guys like Gilbert and uh, you know, Kung and, and a, a lot of, you know, Jake, a lot of the guys that really again made their, their, their name there. That's, you know, that's an overriding sentiment. I miss that promotion. I miss what strike force was about. And you're just one more name, you know, that big name that's, that's added to that. So I, I appreciate you saying that uh, just a, a few more questions here. You mentioned David Goggins, uh, you know, I heard you on Joe Rogan's podcast. I, I believe that was last year, if I remember correctly. And uh, and I reached out afterwards and asked for advice on a book to read that kind of lends itself to your philosophy in life. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, you're you're kind of part of that group, that unofficial group. That's you know, Jocko and and David Goggins and guys like that. Yet you're, you know, firearm enthusiast. Obviously, strong backer of the armed forces. You know, you're a fitness proponent and. Just kind of a, would it be fair to say kind of an overall masculinity and manliness uh, a proponent? Would that be a, a, a fair thing to say? But, but kind of talk about your your approach to life and kind of how you you look at life and what makes it fulfilling for you in your, you know, your day-to-day grind, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the in the grind, you know, in the, in the process of life, you know, having Iraq and Afghanistan combat tours and, and coming back to a, a weird world in the United States, you know, with active shooters and weird uh, social issues. You know, one, one thing that resonated, one thing that became very explicitly clear were the people that had a specific mindset, that had a specific approach to life. They, they, they saw limitless success, you know, from from Joe Rogan to David Goggins, Cameron Haynes, Jocko Willink, you know, Evan Hafer, Matt Best, Jared Taylor, the Dakota Myers, you know, the list goes on of, of these very similar people. You like, you call them this unofficial group. Like, you know, we're not a group. They are my friends, but the similarity between us is like the, 
our approach to, to getting things done is, is a ruthless, relentless one. It, it, to, to take this call and hop on the phone with you, and like this is my third city in, in, in one day, and I have four more cities to hit just this week. I think I've been in six countries in the past 30 days to include Afghanistan, you know, for the evacuation. So like there, there's Cameron Haynes is on how many mountaintops in a matter of, in, in a matter of a month, you know, how many shows does Joe, how many shows do, does Joe do, you know, how many successful book can Jocko write, you know, just the, this relentless pursuit of perfection. It's not about ever reaching this, this unattainable goal perfection. It's, it's just about the relentless pursuit. And that's kind of like, my my view on things is never stopping, never quitting, never never dying. You know, like you can't kill me, mother. And uh, you know, like, and I hope I brought that into the ring as a fighter. Where like you know, if you're if you're going to go into deep water with me, you better be ready to fight all the way to the buzzer. I, I appreciate that. And like like I said, it was it's just something that grabs me. I mean, I'm a 39 year old male, and and it's just something that really spoke to me and grabs me. Is like man, I got to do more. And I, I, again, I don't want to, I appreciate you taking the time. I've only got a couple more questions, but uh, you know, you're quite active on Instagram and Twitter. Um, listeners can find you at Tim Kennedy MMA, but something you're promoting right now is called save our allies, obviously Afghanistan and the recent evacuation and, and everything that's gone on with that. Um, you know, you doing, uh, um, you know, tours there and that sort of thing. I mean, it, that's obviously something that's very personal to you. So please share what the mission of that organization is, uh, and, and, you know, what, what listeners can do to get involved. Yeah, we have, um, kind of four missions. One is the evacuation of Americans and our allies out of Afghanistan, out of Afghanistan. Um, the four pillars, the first one's evacuation. The second one is transition. It's getting them safely to a place with dignity where we can, you know, care for them. Cause you know, when we got people out, they're dehydrated, they're exposed, um, you know, give them medicine, dental, um, all the things that civilized dignified society would have that they haven't been had that they haven't had because they're on the run from the Taliban and then permanent placement into their new homes finding a place where they can start a new life where they can be productive members of society and then finally is the veteran aspect you know Afghanistan after 20 years of fighting in Afghanistan there's a lot of Americans that lost friends there there's a lot of Americans that have been deployed there there's a lot of Americans that left a part of their soul there and, um, and it, it has caused a huge disruption within the veteran world watching this unfold in Afghanistan. So those are the four things, you know, get them out, get them transitioned and healthy, get them into their new homes and then take care of our veterans. And I, I believe it's uh, saveourallies.org if I, if That's I, right. Yep. Okay. Saveourallies.org. And I saw that there's uh, just kind of looking at the site, you can actually sign up and, and serve. You can actually go to. Uh, for like they request like a week basically, but you can go to different. I think it's bases that you can go to and serve there. If I if I'm if I'm understanding this correctly, and and yeah, that's and, it exactly. And we need help. We need volunteers. Um, you know, we of, of course we'll take donations, but not everybody can donate. Um, if you want to buy diapers, panty liners, baby formula, we'll take it all. Um, but if you if you you can't do any of those things, but you have time, you can volunteer at. I think we have eight different locations that we need somewhere between 60 to 80 people per location. So, you know, we have, we have military bases all over the nation that we're transitioning these, these allies through, and um, we need people to help the humanitarian side. And is uh, it, Chad Robichaud in, in, uh, involved in this? Yes, it looks like. Is he the... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah he's no, he's no, the president of Saber Allies. 
you know, he was, he was my boss when I went over to Afghanistan. Um, he's a good, good friend of mine Yeah, and, uh, you know, an absolute gem of a person. And also a fellow former, uh, strike force fighter as well. So uh, former for MMA fighter. So that, that's, that's awesome. I've got, uh, I might reach out to him and chat with him a little bit more too. Cause he's yeah, great, great guy. So, um, okay, well, great. Yeah. So listeners save our allies.org. There's a lot of, I'm looking at the site right now as we talk, lot of information there. Um, I, I did want to, is there, I got one final question before we get to that. Is there anything else that you'd like to promote or mention that, that, that you want to lay out there for the listeners? No, I got a book coming out that I think will, that will, uh, will launch in a, in a couple of months. And, um, you know, my company sheepdog response, you know, if anybody wants to get training on fighting or shooting, you know, that's all we do. All we do is fight and all we do is shoot. So, uh, <laughs> check out sheepdogresponse.com. Okay. Is, uh, is Ranger up still going at long time, uh, uh, apparel company in, in, in MMA? Is that still up and running? Oh yes, we are, man. It's awesome. Awesome. All right. Yeah. Check out rangerup.com. That's got some great gear there. Well, uh, Mr. Kennedy, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us uh, on inside the hexagon. Thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely. dude. Stay safe. All right. I want to thank my very special guest, Tim Kennedy for taking the time to join us on inside the hexagon. I really appreciated his time and his insight. It was really great talking to him about again, his run with strike force. I told you I would reveal uh, what the one fight was. He actually named two that basically define him as a fighter. If you've never seen Tim fight, you know, what, what are the fights that really stick out in his mind? It was his uh, strike force fight with Robbie Lawler, which we're, we're going to be covering on an upcoming episode very soon. And then his UFC fight with Michael Bisping. He mentioned both of those, just the violence and just, just the grit and everything that was involved in really these are tim kennedy fights uh so definitely worth checking out uh if if you get a chance but again i hope that you enjoyed my chat with with tim and again i appreciate him coming on make sure you check out saveourallies.org and keep an eye eye out for his upcoming book i hope that you are also invite uh, i'm sorry and finding you are also enjoying our other episodes the other content that we're putting out uh, coming up soon we are going to be covering strike force diaz versus daily now this is a big big deal because this is the first uh, main strike force event that was held under the Zufa banner after Zufa and the UFC bought strike force. So we are going to really go in deep on this, you know, basically how monumental of a, of a card that this was and what a big deal it was uh, on the card. You've got Shinya Aoki taking on Lyle fancy pants, beer bomb. Again, a former client of mine. This was a big deal for Lyle, a big opportunity for him. Uh, Gegard Musassi taking on Keith Jardine. I believe that was the Dean of means only strike force fight. And then we have the return of the lightweight champion, Gilbert Melendez. He gets a rematch with Tatsuya Kawajiri. And then in the main event, one of the best one round fights, I believe in strike force history, the champion, the welterweight title holder, Nick Diaz defense his belt against Paul Semtex Daily. Great fight. I really enjoyed uh, watching this and I'm looking forward to covering this. So that's coming up. After that, I have a really fun interview that I'm excited about. I'm going to be talking with MMA junkies, John Morgan. This guy is one of the OGs of MMA journalism. When I first got into, uh, got into to MMA PR, I almost said got into Strikeforce, but even before that, when I got into MMA PR, uh, John was one of the guys that I connected with. He was probably the guy that I would say I was closest with uh, when it came to uh, MMA journalists. We we texted and, and had a good relationship. And so uh, we, we, we're, we're going to be talking. We had the, the, the interview has not happened yet. I'm going to be conducting it very, very soon, but we are, we are scheduled to chat. So I'm looking forward to that. And we are going to delve into Zufa's purchase of Strikeforce. We're going to go in depth on that. So I'm looking forward to that. So a couple 
important weeks, a couple important episodes in terms of uh, Strike Force history. So I'm looking forward to that. Hope that you are looking forward to it as well. Again, stay tuned as we get closer and closer to those. I did want to mention that uh, you can reach me at fillitinsidethehexagon.com and you can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at the Hexagon Pod. I would love to hear from you. would love to get your feedback. Make sure you check out Evergreen Podcast, the network that we are a part of. But with that, we're going to go ahead and ride off into the sunset. We hope that you stay safe and you stay healthy. And we will see you soon. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning or have never even heard of paddle, or padel as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!